What's up, military millionaires? Thank you for joining me again today on this show. Today we are joined by the one and only Ryan Murdoch, and this episode is going to be incredible. We talk about everything from how he got started in rental properties and was able to retire from his job after building a property management team and a successful real estate agency like brokerage, and how he scaled to up over 600, close to 1,000 doors, if not more, of mobile home pads and their scaling open door capital and all the incredible lessons learned through that journey and what his life has done for like just the journey he's been on. So just an awesome episode. Make sure you watch and listen to this all the way through. And we would love it if you subscribe to the podcast so that you get notified when new episodes come out and share it with some other service members, share it on your Facebook, share it somewhere so that other people are able to learn these lessons and become successful in life. And last but not least, this podcast is free. 100% free. It costs you nothing to listen to the podcast and learn all these valuable lessons from multi-millionaires and successful investors. The only thing we ask is that you share it with your community and give us a five-star review on your favorite platform, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or whatever, because the more you guys review it, the more you guys share it, the more people will get these awesome interviews and the more people will help reach, right? You know, as well as I know that the more people that are in this military real estate investor community, the more deals we can do together and the more awesome it's going to be. So do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do everyone else a favor and subscribe, share, and leave us a review. If you haven't done so already, have a great freaking day and do not miss the end of this episode because it's awesome. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle 1, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger. Vic One, Oscar Mike. What's up, military millionaires? I am your host, David Prey, and I am here with the one and only Ryan Murdoch today. So Ryan, if you don't know, has dabbled in a little bit of everything. So Ryan has done, uh, done the W-2, quit the W-2, done a little bit of real estate with no money down, built a property management company, and then ended up uh, just relocating to Maui like a year and a half, two years ago, and started Open Door Capital with Brandon Turner, and they have just exploded over the last year. And all I really see about that is mobile home parks where they're traveling all over the place, and Ryan finding time to scuba dive all over the world. So uh, it looks like it's going well, and we are here to talk about a little bit about through that journey and just some of the cool stuff that's going on. So I'm really excited to bring this to you because Ryan's just an awesome dude. And uh, Ryan, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, man, thanks for having me. You know, I have done a lot of incredible things, especially over the past couple of years. But to get an invite to appear with you on your show has got to be the pinnacle of it all. If I die today, I will die happy knowing I went out on top. So thanks for having me. I appreciate that. That's uh, that sounds good. <laughs> oh man. Hey, why don't you uh, give our listeners in case they don't know your backstory? Cause you, you, I don't know that you were huge on social media previous to the last couple of years. So could you give a little bit of the backstory to what led you up to what you're doing now? Good thing. Yeah. In, in a nutshell, I got my uh, start in real estate investing around 2007 uh, into 2007. I, I was, I was in the semiconductor manufacturing industry for a long time, uh, over 10 years, and then just decided I needed to change. Didn't see myself working a W-2 job until I was 60 or 65 or dead, whichever came first. And uh, kind of got hooked onto real estate, just read a few books, listened to a couple podcasts and, and got started. And I, I really had no idea what I was doing, but I bought a duplex and 
house hacked that, lived in one side, rented out the other, inherited some awful tenants, which was an immediate education in, in property management, and slowly but surely continued to build out my own uh, portfolio of small multifamily rental properties. Uh, around the same time, I also got my real estate agent license, uh, not so so much to uh, represent buyers and sellers, but more just to handle my own deals. I was looking at a lot of foreclosures and low price stuff that uh, really just didn't motivate agents to get off the couch and, and write offers and get them in quickly, which is what needed to happen with those because they would hit the market and be gone within a few hours. So got my got my license so I could take care of that. And then that actually morphed into a pretty successful real estate business. I, I didn't intend to represent buyers and sellers, but that's, that's, that's what I ended up doing. Uh, you know, just as kind of a, a side hustle, which became a, a pretty lucrative career for, for a decade or so. And then uh, around the same time, also started a property management company. So I built my management company up to around 200 or so managed units, uh, ran that for five years before I then uh, kind of merged that, went to work for a, a larger property management company in the area. They just uh, had a lot of the systems and, and things in place that I was missing as a, as a one-man band property manager. Uh, went to work for them and uh, then managed properties with them at a much larger scale, 1,500, I think, units we had at the time that we were managing. And, and, and did that until I was able to build my own rental portfolios enough that I could back out of even that job and then hire them to manage all my stuff. So I was completely hands off, uh, just living off my rental income and some, some brokerage income, which uh, with all that free time on my hands allowed me uh, to, to pounce on the opportunity to, to move out here to Maui a couple of years ago and, and help uh, Brandon get Open Door Capital kicked off and, and uh, you know build out that team and do all the incredible things that we've done over the past couple of years. Man, that's a, pretty quick synopsis for a whole lot of stuff accomplished. That's really cool. I am curious because I've heard from a number of people that uh, most people don't start property management companies because they think it'd be a fun gig. So I'm curious what your original, original motivation was for that. Was it just to save money on rentals you were managing and then it kind of grew or was that actually a business model that you wanted to start? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was really out of necessity to, I mean, I, I ran, I just listed all these little side businesses that I was running, but the, the, the overall goal was to continue to acquire real estate of my own that would uh, allow me to get to that point of, of quote unquote financial freedom and not, not have to work. So, uh, you know, buying properties obviously was, was, was the, the critical path there, but being a real estate agent, opening a property management company, like those were all sort of side hustles, but they all were focused towards the, the same goal, which was owning more real estate. So the property management business started out of, um, I think I had had, it was just a few units, five or six doors, something like that. And even if you have one door, you still need to have some kind of system in place in the event of, well, in event of a lot of things. So, I mean, basic like rent collection and you got to have your lease and, and you got to know how to advertise the unit when it, when it's vacant, but then you also have to have, uh, you know, contingencies and systems in place to deal with a toilet that explodes in the middle of the night or a heating system that goes down in the middle of the winter. And you've got to have vendors and you've got to be prepared to deal with that. So I quickly came to realize that, Hey, if I'm married to say five or six doors, I might as well expand these systems and bring on some other properties that I can manage for other real estate owners, uh, just as a, as an added income stream for me. So, you know, if I'm set up and I'm up and running and, and, and have to, you know, be ready to deal with any, any, any catastrophe, any issue, then let's try to make a little extra money off of it. And, and that's what I did. And that grew to, I mean, I think I only had at the time 20 or 25 units of my own, but I was managing, you know, a total of 200, uh, most of those for, for other people. So that was a pretty good, uh, income stream, uh, which again, it was just money I was pouring into my own my own rental properties, and just helped me get there a, a little quicker than than without having that piece. Yeah, I think that's I mean that's smart, right? It, for, it's it's kind of a 
level of like vertical integration where you're kind of taking over some of your own uh, businesses. But I've started to realize over the years, and, and I know you guys have, we've talked about this, that real estate's great, but if you really want to grow your empire, like having something else that helps pour more income into that, whether that's a W-2 or, you know, everyone talks about leaving their W-2 job to go to real estate full-time, but there's definitely something to be said about whether it's a W-2 job or a business you're running that you can pump more money into the real estate, just stash it and let it build the wealth faster than it would on its own per se. So I think it's cool that you recognize that and you were able to take that on. Yeah. And by no means am I suggesting that everybody that gets involved in real estate should start their own property management company or even <laughs> self-manage their own rentals. Cause it is a, it is a grueling existence. Uh, looking back, I see all kinds of things that I should have done better or sh should have done differently, but it, yeah, it was a hellish like five years that I did it by myself. Um, you know, and I think I have a pretty good personality type to deal with tenants, but not, not everybody does. And it, like a, a, a third party property manager is, is better all day long than a bad self-manager. Uh, so if, if you're, you know, if you're a pushover, if you're not disciplined, if you're, uh, if you have trouble interacting uh, with, you know, p potentially uh, hostile situations with tenants, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to do this yourself. You should definitely hire it out. Uh, try to find somebody who's good and has references, but hire, uh, hire a third party management company. And like you had touched on, you know, I, I was uh, hell bent on getting out of my day job. I didn't want a day job anymore, but that's not the case with everybody. There are a lot of people that, that like their job or they make way more money in their day job than they could ever make just trying to cobble together a real estate portfolio. So to those people, I say, you know, keep your day job or whatever it is that, that generates you the most income with the, with the smallest amount of stress. And if your goal is to someday retire on, on, on rental income, then keep that day job. But all those, all that money that you're making, pour that into uh, investment properties, whether it's directly or, or into somebody else's fund or whatever, but don't, uh, I don't think that, that necessarily quitting a job is the quickest way for a lot of people to, to hit that financial freedom. It just varies for, for everybody in their situation. And, and their own goals. Yeah, I agree completely. All right. So we built up this rental, you know, the, the property management, we build up all this stuff and then you get to the point where you can back yourself out of it. Your rental income is paying for everything. And you're like, ah, all right, cool. And then you uproot and move from, I want to say Maine, right? Maine. So super, super cold to tropics. Um, kind of, kind of on a whim. Like it, I don't know that it was really planned out. <laughs> I'm not I trying to whim. I was gonna say, I remember when we were, we were talking actually, uh, when you had originally, that had originally kind of come up and I remember talking to you about like the opportunity, um, and obviously you took it, but things if you haven't necessarily slowed down in quote retirement from, from rental properties. So, you know, a lot of people struggle with balancing, uh, you know, like, like, okay, I'm retired now. Like, what do I do with all my free time? But I think you kind of answered what a lot of people end up doing, which is you, a lot of people who could retire don't because they enjoy the hustle or enjoy working. But anyway, all that to say, I'm curious, like, were you looking to do something else like move out to Maui or, or move somewhere and do like grow bigger? Or were you actually kind of like looking to settle down and, and then things just kind of went that way? No, my wife and I were looking for a, warmer place to be in the winter. Uh, we didn't really expect that we would be able to or have the opportunity to move away entirely from Maine. I figured summers in Maine would be cool. And then, you know, let's see if we can go down to Florida or somewhere in the South or something for the winter, or at least like, even if we went down one week a month, it would just break up the, the long cold winters. Uh, so when this opportunity presented itself in Maui, it really was just supposed to be short term. I was supposed to come out here for a week. Brandon had just purchased a house and, and you know, need some help getting 
place has been vacant for a few years. So there's some stuff to do around the property and, you know, coordinating, getting a shipping container over here and, and just a bunch of things. And, and that week led to quickly me, uh, I think I went home for a couple of days and I came back for a month. And then that month led to me going home for a few weeks, selling everything I own, listing my house for sale in Maine. And then my wife and dogs and I just jumped on a, on a one-way flight back to Maui which is where we've, where we've been ever since. So we, we were looking for a change. I didn't think it would be as, as, as drastic of a change as, as it was, but I'm, I'm very grateful that, that, that that's what happened. And, and as far as, you know, the, the retirement question, I don't think that I will necessarily ever fully retire. Like I'm not one to just want to sit on the couch and, and put my feet up. I'm, I'm always doing something, which is why I'm so active. You know, you've seen my scuba diving pictures and all, all the crazy stuff that I like to do. Uh, it's because I like to keep moving. I like to like to like adventurous stuff. I, I like to keep things exciting, but I also like to work. Uh, the, there is a part of me that, that really likes to work, especially in real estate. I mean, I love buying a, a crappy beat up property, whether it's a duplex or, or a 200 lot mobile home park and putting some effort in and getting that thing stabilized and turned around and, and adding a ton of value. For me, that's, that's extremely satisfying. So I think I will always play around in that arena to, to one degree or another. But what I'm finding as I get older and as I have more just passive income is I can be more selective on those things that I want to do. And, and especially at Open Door Capital, my role here has changed significantly even over the past year and a half as we've added team members and the company has evolved. And uh, I, I've been fortunate to have the opportunity where I can uh, essentially pick and choose the, the parts of the job that, that I like and, and focus on those. And, and it's not 100%, like there's always days, I think everybody's gonna have that where you get up and you just gotta do crap that you really don't wanna do, but you, you know you gotta do it and plow through it. But you know, if 90, 90 or 95% of the things that I do for for business or for work are, are enjoyable to me then that that's where i want to be and it wasn't always like that i mean the hustle of 10 or 12 years of, of down in the trenches property management and building out my own rental portfolio when i had no money i mean more often than not it was every day getting up slogging through things i didn't want to do i mean that was just a, a long haul but i always had this light at the end of the tunnel that it's going to get better it's going to get better and 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 slowly but surely it, it has gotten better and and i'm i'm in a better place now to to select what i want to do and and spend more of my time doing quality things even even outside of work and that's really you know as i get older i find that the my available time is worth more to me than than money i mean i remember you know younger and growing up especially when you had absolutely no money like that was always the goal like money 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 i want to make you know millions of dollars and, and all this stuff and, and the older i get like yes i want to be financially comfortable yes having money allows me to do some fun things but uh, right now, I value the time, the the free time to do what I want when I want, way more than 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 the money. So, uh, I think there's a there's a balance there for me, and I think everybody's balance point there is is different. I think I think that's yeah, very very smart, and I think that's, I mean that's kind of what I'm starting to realize. I mean, we've talked, you know, as I'm I'm still active duty, and I'm looking to go into the reserves soon, and and a lot of that comes with just having finally got the ability to where I can step away and kind of control my time to focus on what I want to focus on, work what I want to work on and, and do my thing. And, and that's, yeah, my, my roommate, uh, will, will go back and forth every now and then. Cause we, we joke about how, you know, bad I am with my schedule. Sometimes it's like, if something comes up and it's not on the schedule, I just like break have like a mental breakdown. Not really, but you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, no, like the schedule, like, and I don't have that control, right? I don't have that flexibility like I would like to. So that's what I'm striving for. So I think that's very powerful. It's an idea and it is, it's just a shift that happens with time as you get busier and as you get more successful, you realize like, yeah, okay, cool. But for like, for example, you want to go scuba diving. That's great. But like, you don't want to have to ask somebody like, Hey, you know, can I take a day off to go? Like, 
be able to control that stuff. So I think that's cool that you've gotten to that point. Yeah. And it's important for me, like you, you talk about scheduling, like I, I live and die by my, my Google calendar, like everything's on there. If it's not on there, I'm going to miss it. And I think it's important that I take, and anybody could do this is just intentionally block out time uh, to do fun things. And you know, you may not be able to do them every day, but I mean, there, if I, I feel that if I don't block out time and say, Hey, Thursday afternoon, I'm blocking out, you know, my entire schedule. Cause I'm going diving. Uh, people won't schedule things on Thursday. And very rarely is there anything that's absolute emergency that would need to happen on that Thursday afternoon. If you block it out, the things that you need to do will get scheduled around that. But if you, if I'm not intentional in blocking out that time, it, it, I don't, I don't take enough of it for myself. What's up guys. Today I wanted to stop and sponsor my own podcast by myself, which is a little cheesy to tell you about the course that I'm launching called from zero to one real estate investing for beginners. Now this is not a course to help you get rich fast. This is not a course to promise you to make a bajillion dollars, but this is the course that will help you get from zero rental properties to one rental property. It is designed to get you through your first purchase. Everything you need to know to get you through that step with support from myself, obviously via email and whatever, so that we can talk and I can help answer some of those questions for you. And it is extremely affordable right now because I'm launching it for only 97 bucks, which given the amount of content in there and the testimonials I got from the people who tested it beforehand, I am super on the low end for that price, but I'm going to probably have to bump it up in a little while but for now to test the waters and see exactly how many people i'm able to help with this i want it to be extremely affordable because i want to help service members and veterans get their feet in the water so if you are interested in learning about rental properties and you just want to learn how to get your first one and then there are some bonus episodes in there to help you advance past that but if you really just want to know everything you need to know to buy your first property without screwing yourself over this is the course for you. Go ahead and check it out. The link will be down below in the show notes and back to your episode. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. So guilty. Um, all right. So why mobile homes? Well, uh, there, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, the, the initial reason was this is, this is Open Door Capital is Brandon Turner's company. And, and when he decided to, to start this and, and ramp it up, he, he really just decided that he needed to pick one asset class and, and be really good at it. Not, and, and, and he'll say this, that it's not necessarily the best, although I personally think it is, uh, but there's anything that he, he could have chosen apartments or parking garages or strip malls or whatever, but pick one thing, focus on it and, and run with it. And that's, he, he chose mobile home parks. I fit in well because I've got a decade of experience in, in managing mobile home parks and, and doing a lot of turnaround projects and being down in the trenches of, of, of you know, nasty fixer upper mobile home parks and, and everything that that entails. So. Um, you know, so our, our skills definitely complement one another in terms of that. I was just kind of the, the natural fit to, to help get this thing off the ground. But we love it in a sense that uh, the, because of the, the parks that we target, we are looking for generally parks that are at least 100 lots. And we love when they have uh, 20 to 30 percent vacancy. So if we buy a 100 lot park and there's there's 70 occupied lots, we'll buy that park on its existing value based on its NOI and, and how it's performing. And, and if we do nothing to that park, it'll still cash flow and, and, and hold itself up and, and, and be fine. But what we like about the vacant lots is it, it's an incredible opportunity to, to add value to the park. So uh, for, for example, with an, with an apartment complex, if you're gonna add value to an apartment complex, uh, chances are the way you're gonna do that is either raise rents if they're under market, which we can do in a mobile home park. But the only other way really is to go in and renovate 
unit. So you're either evicting tenants or you're letting them move out. And as, as they turn over, you're going in, putting 10, 15, 20 grand into, into renovating the unit. And then hoping that you can raise the rent 100 bucks or 200 bucks or 300 bucks a month and, 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 and make a good return on that. And that's fine. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But with the mobile home park space, we can take the vacant lots and for every home that we fill, uh, that we bring in and set on top of a vacant lot, it activates lot rent of whatever, three or $400 a month that wasn't there before. So the easiest way to do that is to have a tenant bring their own tenant owned home in, they set it up on the lot and they start paying you lot rent immediately. That's great. It's usually very low cost. Uh, unfortunately, there's just not that much movement. People don't tend to move their, their homes enough to, to fill out a 30% a, a vacant mobile home park in, in our lifetime. So what we usually end up doing is, is we're going out and, and buying homes. We're either buying new homes or more frequently we're buying good used homes, bringing them in, getting them set up, getting them renovated, and then selling them off to tenant buyers. And our strategy for that is that such that we're not looking to make a huge profit on the sale of the actual home. In fact, we're, we're okay taking a loss. So let's say it costs us $20,000 to bring in a home, get it set up, get it renovated and sell it off. Even if we sell that home for 18 grand or even 15 grand, we take a $5,000 loss on it. We're okay because we've activated that now $350, $350 a month lot rent that was otherwise not there. And because it's a tenant owned home at that point, almost all of that lot rent goes straight to the bottom line. There's very little expense ratio associated with, with lot rent. So by activating that lot, we may have taken a, a $5,000 hit financially on that infill, but we've increased the value of the park by 30, 40 grand, whatever, you know, depending on, on, the, on the park. And if you have, uh, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 lots that you can do that with, that's a, that's a fantastic way to add a tremendous amount of value with, with very little out-of-pocket expense uh, in the long run. Yeah, I love that. Is there do you have a strategy for incentivizing people to move their homes? Cause I know, sure. so, I, so I, you know, we've talked, right. And I know that one of the reasons people like tenant owned homes is because people don't like to move their home. So once they're there, there's a very good yep. chance you're going to have that occupancy for a long time. So how do you incentivize yep. people to move from where they're comfortable into your mobile home park? Yeah, we'll run a, a variety of like move-in specials where, hey, you know, if you, if you move your home into the park, we'll give you three months or six months of free lot rent. Or we've done uh, situations in the past where we maybe credited them some actual cash towards their moving expenses. So let's say it's going to cost them four grand uh, to, to move their mobile home from wherever it is, drag it into our park, set it up, get it, get it, uh, situated. It's going to cost them $4,000. We may, we may cover some or all of that cost as an incentive. Cause in our mind, we're thinking, okay, if we have to go out and buy a home and fill this lot, uh, we could break even, we could make a little money, but we're willing to, you know, a lot of times lose four or five grand. Why not just apply that same four or five grand to uh, a move-in special for, for a tenant that already owns their home. So it depends on the market, depends on the situation and, and depends on a few other things. But yeah, we, we always try to incentivize other uh, tenants who own their homes to, to, to move into our park. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And that's, that's really cool. So I know that um, I mean, you kind of already answered. I was going to ask you if you prefer park or tenant owned homes, but I think we kind of covered that. Do you try to, uh, the people, when you take over a park, if there's a lot of park owned homes, do you try to sell them off to people who are already there? Yeah. And that's kind of the, the, the general mentality of all the, the larger operators is to get out of the park owned home business. It, it, if we had our choice, we would buy parks only with, with tenant owned homes, but that's rarely the case. Usually when we buy a park, although our goal is to get them tenant owned, there's always some element of, of park owned homes. And there's a few different ways to deal with that. 
um, I've seen everything from sometimes the, the park owners, we, we haven't done this, but I've seen other owners do it where they'll just try to give away all the homes to the tenants just to, to get them off the books. Sometimes that works. Sometimes you have people, tenants that just don't want to take possession of it because they like the comfort of, of being in a park owned rental. And if something breaks, they can just call the landlord to fix it instead of, instead of having to fix it themselves. So that is, can be, can be successful, but it's not a, it's, it's just, it's not a guarantee that you're just gonna be like going to give them all away. What we prefer to do is, is we will let our rental tenants, ride out their tenancy, whether it's a year or five years or 10 years and let them kind of naturally either move out or they die or, or, or we end up evicting them for because of non-payment, whatever. Uh, but we're not going to, we, we typically don't force any of the, the park owned uh, tenants to, to, to make a change. But once they, once they move out, once that unit becomes empty, we'll renovate it. And then at that point we will not re-rent it. We'll only sell it off. So mm -hmm. it could take a little longer to transition them out that way. But you know, our goal is not to disrupt the, the whole community. We don't want to displace people. Uh, we don't go in and, and, and you know, if, if lot rents are at $200 a month and the market uh, says they should be at 400 a month, we're not going to crank them up overnight. I mean, we just, we, we, we really try to put an emphasis on the human aspect of, of the tenants. And we, 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 we care for them. We want to make them, uh, we want to make the community nicer, but we want to keep them happy and, and, and proud to live there. So, so it's always a balance. What, what works, what looks best on paper is not always the best in, in, in practice. So we, we, we try to, we try to strike that balance and, and, and provide a good return for our investors, but also, uh, you know, keep our, our humanity intact for, um, for yeah. our tenants. Yeah. Well, it's good. And I think that will also play into your view of moving, filling vacant lots, right? Like if, if you moved in and you just jacked up all the rent prices and started kicking people out of park owned homes, that that would not help you with fill in lots because then you're, you're fighting a downhill battle or an uphill battle yep. to try to move people in. But if you, if everybody, like if you become the community in the area where all the people who own a mobile home want to live yep. or, or live yep. in a mobile home want to move to like that, that ultimately helps you out down the road. Right. And you can increase rent slowly. And, and obviously you wouldn't buy a place if it wasn't working even with the lower, the lower rents. So, yep. you know, I think that's, yep. that's smart. Absolutely. That's cool. So, what has been, I'm curious, since we've talked for, you know, we, we've known each other probably two years now, I don't know, maybe two and a half and something, something like that. Yep. I'm curious what you think is some of the, some of the biggest things that you've learned from scaling at this level that, I mean, you guys have, have just done, well, we mentioned before we started recording, like I remember sitting down with you and Brandon like a year and a half ago when it was a vision board and, and not a whole, it was just kind of just the vision board. And it was like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be able to surf. We're going to yeah. buy a bunch of rentals, like a thousand properties in three years. And now yeah. you're potentially on track to close the thousand pads in a year and a half. And yeah. uh, you're able to go and surf and, and scuba dive. And, and I mean, that vision yeah. is becoming a reality. So I'm curious though, what some of those big learning lessons have been or, or what you've gotten out of that journey. Yeah, there, 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 there's been so many, uh, so many things learned along the way. And, and I guess I'll start with that, that vision board that you saw where when I first read that as awesome as it sounded, it just, it was almost not realistic to me that, Hey, uh, you know, $50 million in real estate acquisitions in less than three years with a group of cool people that uh, like to surf and, you know, work 20 or 30 hours a week. Like the, first of all, the 50 million just sounded like monopoly money in, in that period of time. Like you gotta be kidding me. That's, that's just a ton of real estate. But what, what I learned from that is like, that was our goal. And that's what the entire team now has been gunning for. And we are on track. to not only hit that by this, the, the vision board was originally dated like the target date was December 31st, uh, 2021. We're on track to hit that, that acquisition amount. And uh, we were hoping to do it at the end of this year. It's probably going to trickle over into January by the time we have that. But like, 
that's that's pretty impressive to hit, to hit that goal. And, and and we have a lot of goals like that. And what I've learned is set the goal, no matter how insane it sounds at the time, even if you don't hit it, chances are you're going to come pretty damn close. And even, even, even that result is going to be way more impressive than if you just didn't have any goal and just kind of, you know, floundered around and, and, and did stuff. The other part of it is uh, building out the team that we have assembled over the past year and a half has shown me just how valuable and how much quicker you can scale when you have partners and when you have the right people in place. I mean, I went for, you know, 10 years by myself doing everything, just hands-on doing it all myself. And if I had to do it all over again, man, I wouldn't have gone that route. I would have brought in the right people, either employees or partners earlier in the game. And knowing how quickly you can scale when you have those right people in place, I could have been light years ahead of, of, of where I ended up over that, that, that 10 year span. So um, clearly defined goals and, and scaling with partners are the two just like glaring lessons that I've, that I've learned over the past couple of years. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm starting to wrestle with the partner thing, right? I'm slowly starting to to grow that piece out. And uh, it's a little uncomfortable at first, but it definitely makes a lot of stuff easier if you find the right people to to work with you, right? Like I'm a very much not an integrator personality. I am a, uh, I have ideas, some good, some, some definitely not so good. Uh, and then a lot of them end up, you know, sitting on the wayside because I just don't have time to get to them all. And so I'm trying to work that piece into where it's like, okay, I got somebody who can help me actually make some of these things a reality. Um, it's taken a long time. You know, it's not comfortable to start kind of handing off some of that stuff when you first start and, uh, yeah, so I, I look yeah, and that was, that was always my issue. And that's why I did everything pretty much by myself for 10 years. I'm a terrible delegator. Like I just, I think I can do it better than everybody else. And just, you know, it's easier for me to just go do it than just to train somebody else. That's, that's a flawed mentality. Like it really, you know, I think has, has, has limited where I, I could have been otherwise. But as I say that, you know, a, a good partnership, you have to have the right people. So it, it can go as drastically bad with the wrong people as it can good with, with the right people. So you need to make sure whatever, whatever the project is that you are, are clearly vetting your partners. You want them to have skills and traits that offset yours. So, uh, and complement yours. So if everybody's good at the same thing and everybody's bad at the same thing, that's probably not a great partnership. You need people that can, that can round out the team and, uh, and you need those, those, those roles pretty clearly defined. And, and that can be tough, especially starting off where, um, you know, everybody's kind of doing a little bit of everything, but there is, there needs to be, in my opinion, some clear definition, even if it's just handwritten, scratched out on a, on a, on a notepad, like, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is what your responsibility is. So the buck stops here with this person, the buck stops there with that person. So yeah, there's always going to be a lot of a crossover and, and, and people helping each other out, but you need to clearly own certain roles and this is this is why you're here this is this is why you're part of this because your strength is this and this is what you're responsible for and i think without that stuff can just kind of be left floating in the wind and oh you know is david supposed to take care of that or i'm supposed to take care of that and then nobody takes care of it and then you know animosity builds and, and the thing falls apart so it's 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 the right people and it's it's clearly defined roles even if you're just partnering with somebody on a duplex or i mean this doesn't have to be a, a massive multi-million dollar acquisition company or syndication or anything like that just like, like if you're going to partner with somebody on a single family flip or, or, or a two or three unit rental. Like you still, there are still roles and, and responsibilities that, that should clearly be defined. So everybody knows who's doing what. And if something doesn't happen, you can go back to that thing that you wrote on day one and say, look, this was supposed to be your, your deal. What, what, why hasn't it happened? Yeah, I think that's incredible advice. Someone told me that just the other day and I, I've been kind of working on the, the PowerPoint for it. 
Um, in fact, I'm going to open it back up to remind myself to finish that, but where they were basically saying, um, and I could even just look at it and make sure I'm, but like, okay. Yeah. Even if you're a one man show, like saying like, you need to build out kind of what that team looks like so that I have an idea when I start, because people will go and hire somebody and they have no idea what they're hiring for. But if you've built out like what those roles are, then you can kind of start to figure out like what you're good at, what you're not good at. Um, and I thought that was really useful advice. And so, you know, I'm, I'm working on that, obviously. Um, what is it? The good to great where he says getting the right people in the right seat. Um, or, or yeah, anyway, getting, getting the right yeah, people I know, on yeah. the bus and then, yeah. Yep. Um, yep, exactly how, how, what have you guys been doing as far as like, how are you finding those people in the, I guess not hiring, but partnership piece, right? Cause you didn't have a full team when you guys first started. No, it was like, no, just me and Brandon. Guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. And, and, uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate that I can kind of hold my own in any situation. And I, I, I may not be the best at any of it and rarely am I, but I can do a lot of everything, which is pretty much what I was doing to begin with. I believe but they call you the mercenary, right? The mercenary, that, yeah. Just th throw, throw me into the dumpster fire and, and let me fight my way out. Uh, but yeah, so it was building a team. So like the, one of the, one of the earliest things that we did was bring in, we had a bunch of, uh, of, of interns and, and, and volunteers. And this is, you know, this is a nod to, to Brandon and, and his popularity and his platform and his ability to attract whatever we need, whether it's raising money or human resources or, or whatever. Like he's got a he's got a tremendous platform, a huge loyal audience. And all he has to do is put something on his Instagram that we're in, we're looking for this and like we're looking for underwriters. And I got, you know, several hundred uh, resumes of people who wanted to help us underwrite, not for a paid position, but just to be part of this growing team to learn from us. You know, a lot of these people are like, you know, PhDs, MBAs, like really smart people um, in, in their line of work, but they, they didn't have much necessarily real estate experience, and they, but they wanted to. So they were willing to trade their their time and their skill set in, in underwriting for uh, just being a part of our team and learning about real estate and, and being on some of the weekly calls and, and, and going through the process. So, um, and we, we've done a, a few different variations of this, this intern thing, depending on the, uh, the, the role, but early on we had a group of, uh, I think we narrowed it down to like 20 underwriters and, and 20 acquisitions people. And out of those groups, there were two in particular, Mike Williams and, and Walker Meadows that just rose above the rest of the group that not only were they doing what we asked them to do, but they were doing a bunch of other stuff on top of that, like proactively, uh, doing things that like a lot of some of it, we didn't even know that we needed. Like for, for example, uh, Walker, who's now our, uh, lead underwriter and absolute rock supplied him with the underwriting model that we were using for, for parks. And we we're like, yeah, this, this, you know, this is the underwriting model. This is what we've got. And, uh, he used that for a short period of time, very short period of time before he's like, you guys, this thing is awful. Uh, I'm going to build out something way better. So from scratch, like he created this just absolute monstrosity of a spreadsheet that, I mean, cause we deal with, uh, mobile home parks, like it's way more complex than, than apartment underwriting. Like, you know, how many vacant lots does it have? How many park on homes, tenant on homes with the vacant lots? Are you filling them, uh, through tenants? Are you buying homes? And then what are you doing with those homes? Once you buy them, are you selling it for cash, are you selling them for on payments or you know, third party financing. Like there's so many different variables that are, they're really hard to underwrite. They're very complex yeah. to underwrite. Um, so Walker, like just built this, this spreadsheet from scratch, it took him months to do it. And, and now this is like, this is our underwriting model. So that was a prime example of like, Holy smokes. Like we didn't even know how bad we sucked there. And this person came along and identified the weakness and, and, and came up with a solution for it. So uh, fast forward a few months, Walker was able to quit. He had a, a great job in, in corporate finance. He was able to, to quit that and come to work for us full-time salaried 
uh, role that got him out of his, his dreaded, you know, corporate W2 job that he wanted. Now he's investing in real estate. Now he's hanging out with us and, and, and having a good time. And, and, and he's great at what he does. So all, pretty much everybody on the team has come through the ranks in some type of similar fashion. I mean, Walker and Mike for sure. Uh, Brian Murray, um, you know, he, we met him at the Maui mastermind that we had out here last year. And that was just kind of an organic relationship. And like, man, this guy really knows what he's doing. He fits great with the team. He's got, you know, a lot of fund experience, a lot of syndication experience where others on the team might be lacking. So he's kind of our, our, uh, consultants. And, and, uh, I, I always joke that I call him the wise old owl, even though he's not really that old, but like he has all those answers, right? So like I talked about, you need to find people that uh, have, have traits and skills that, that you're lacking. And that's, that's where we're lacking is that advisory sort of role. He's also our asset manager and, and him and his wife do a great job with, with property management. But all of these people just came up through, through some other means, it wasn't just necessarily a, a hey, we put a we put a help wanted ad out there, and 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 you know here, here's a salary. Let's take a chance on these guys. They all either volunteered their time, or we got to know them through some other means, and and now they're working for us full time and, and just absolutely killing it. Today's show awesome. is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com/slash/militarymillionaire. Now, why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. I listen to Audible every single day on my commute to and from work. Now, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash militarymillionaire. That's awesome. And that's also very heartening or good to hear because I, I just uh, put myself up as a uh, potential employer for uh, the Skillbridge program, which is like a military way to basically yep. you can intern on your way out of the military, um, yep. which I'm I'm looking to do whether intern for somebody or intern for you know myself. I, I don't know if that's possible, but hey, if I can intern for my own company for six months, that'd be pretty sweet. So, um, but, you know, intern I'm, I'm for at, David Perret LLC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, you know, I don't know what that looks like, right? If I find I don't the right either. fit, let me know. You know, yeah, if I find the right fit, awesome. But I'm looking to do that. And so yeah. I was like, oh, this is such a cool program. And then I was like, hey, wait a minute. There's a whole page yeah. of people who hire. And I'm like looking through it. And I was like, I know that guy. I know. Yeah. It's like, why am I not on here? So I'm kind of looking yeah. to pull in an intern that way. Um, yeah. And I think that's really cool. And, you know, you mentioned something there that I think is really key. And it's something that I, I try to tell people all the time. But you mentioned, well, they were doing above and beyond. But you even just said they were just doing what we asked. And it's amazing how many people will will reach out for advice or reach out for something or or apply for something or whatever. And they don't even do like just the, 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 the advice that's given, you know, and then like six months later, they come back and they're like, Oh, Hey, I still in this problem. Did you do? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's funny that that's on some level, like the standard is like, just, you know, at least do what you're asked. Um, but the guys that you picked obviously went way above and beyond that they were rock stars. But I think that's just really cool that it's like, yeah, it's just, we, we hired interns and then they did really well and we kept them. So yeah. And they're all like, they're all an amazing group of self-starters. So they require very little oversight to like, you, you, we're not whipping these guys every day to make sure that they're on track. I mean, the, the goals are clearly defined is to like, this is the company goal. This is each person's individual goal. And then we just set them loose and it, you know, we check in, we're, we're talking all the time. We have a, a company call that occurs once a week. In addition to all the, you know, interpersonal calls th throughout the week, but th every Thursday we have a, a company wide call. Everybody's on there and just kind of brings everybody else up to speed on what's going on. They set their, uh, they state what their goal was for the previous week and whether they accomplished it or not. And if not, 
without every good excuse why, because nobody wants to show up saying they didn't do what they're supposed to do. And then they set their goal for the, for the following week. And as painful as that is for me sometimes to, to do that, like I, I typically hate those kind of exercises. Uh, they're incredibly valuable, man. Cause it's, it's the same thing. Like I don't want to show up at the meeting and not have like accomplished my, my goal for the week. So even sometimes it's a scenario like cramming to finish your homework right before class, but I'm going to get that thing in and show up and say that, 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 that I've accomplished my goal and I'm ready to commit to my next goal for the next week. And, and everybody on the team is like that. So there's nobody that, you know, there's no, nobody that we're always saying, Oh man, I wish this guy, you know, he's just dragging us down. Like we, we, we don't have those people at all. They're, they're all phenomenal. Yeah. And I love that you're able to accomplish that with one meeting a week, which almost sounds kind of like a mastermind call in, in some way, because you're, you know, holding people accountable to their goal rather than having to just like pour stuff down their throats, like in yep. a normal, like W2 job. And I, I have always kind of thought like, man, less meetings, more like people who actually get stuff done if possible. Yep. Not exactly the way the military operates, but um, Come on. yeah, you know, I know it's, it's, it's baffling to think that we're not all about <laughs> self-starters and efficiency. Um, yeah, you know, but it's good that you've been able to surround yourself with a group of people where that works, right? And I think that's just super cool that, that, I mean, that's just a testament to you guys as a whole, right? That you've all got the right people involved that you're able to do once a week, not have to do a whole bunch of micromanagement and, yep. and stuff works. So I think that's probably what's helped with you guys excelling in all of your goals. But I mean, that's just super cool. So my question now is like what does the future look like for everything that you guys are doing i mean you had this monstrous goal this you know way out there never gonna happen oh my goodness holy crap vision board and, and now it's like well what's what's the next big goal yeah we're, we're i mean we're setting our goals now for for next year and i think at a minimum we we continue at the pace that we're at and it's it's that balance of like how much do we really want to work versus you know what, what, what's the payout so that quality of life that time balance thing is certainly important to everybody um, so there's a few different things we're looking at either we we stay the course and, and just kind of hit our same goal that we did this year because in theory it should be a lot easier next year because this year was just such a an amazing year of growth and building out systems and getting people in place that if we don't change anything we should be able to to duplicate next year what we did this year with a lot less time and effort because we've, we've already built it out. Uh, but there's a lot of us on the team that, you know, want to keep growing. Like we're not content just doing the same thing, uh, hitting the same goal next year. So, so we may increase that. And, and what does that look like? Is that, you know, more hours and more time or, is it we're just going to increase the deal size that we're after? So can we potentially double our volume with the same number or fewer of deals? Because what we found this year, and it's, it's especially critical right now, uh, you know, we have, I think, four or five parks under contract. So, I mean, you know what it's like getting any deal across the finish line to closing. They're all a total pain in the ass. So uh, e even on a good day on a smooth deal, it's very stressful. And there's a lot involved with, with getting a deal to closing. So it's it's really the same amount of work, whether we're buying a $1 million property or a $50 million property. It's the same, it's the same headaches. It's the same hassle. So if we're able to just increase the overall deal size and, and, you know, ratchet up our, our threshold to maybe we bring it from a hundred lots to 200 lots, or maybe we say, you know, our minimum deal size is whatever, pick a number 8 million or 10 million. And we're not dealing with anything smaller than that. Um, you know, and there's also been discussion as much as we love mobile home parks, maybe we expand, maybe we start looking at some apartments or, or, or other asset classes, uh, you know, especially if we're going to ratchet up deal size, we may be forced to do that. I mean, there's a limited number of mobile home parks. We're, we, we love them. We're going to keep buying them. But if we want to keep hitting our, our, our new goals and our new acquisition threshold, we may have to look at, at, at different asset types to, to hit those numbers. So, um, you know, a lot up in the air, all of it's exciting. I mean, whichever, whichever route we go, uh, I, I'm certainly fired up as is everybody else on the team to, to, to keep going.
we just need to we just need to hammer out some of those those smaller details but that's, to me that's a great problem now that's exciting am i am i allowed to ask if anybody has successfully brought dan bought brought brandon a deal no, we have a park under contract right now uh, that, that we are, we're going to be very excited to, to write that check. We've been getting a lot of leads um, from that. And for anybody that doesn't know about that, it's, it's bringbrandonadeal.com. I hope it's okay if I pitch this. Bringbrandonadeal.com. And our target is we're looking for off-market mobile home parks. So if anybody brings us a lead for an off-market, it's got to be off-market. Don't send me loop net listings and, and that kind of stuff. I've seen them all. Uh, off-market park. And all you need to do is give us a warm introduction to the seller, either a, a joint phone call or an, a, an email that we're all on just to hand us off to the seller. You're not putting it under contract. You're not negotiating. You're not wholesaling it. We just need the introduction. If we close on that park, uh, initially we were offering a $50,000 finder's fee. We just recently increased that to $100,000 finder's fee. So uh, bring us a lead on an off-market park. If we close on it, we'll write you a check for hundred grand. Pretty, pretty sweet opportunity. And what's cool, if you think full circle, that's kind of how you got roped into all this. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon was looking for a deal and, and I happened to find one and, and yeah, he wasn't offering a hundred grand at the time, but uh, <laughs> it was probably, still a great probably, opportunity, man. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably worked yeah, out for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was just, it was just paid in installments, but I, I got it. I think. <laughs> Love it. All right. So yeah. there's a couple of questions I ask every guest, right? Um, they're, they're super, super difficult. Not really. They're probably the same questions you get asked or a variation on every show that you do. Um, but the first one is if a 18, 19 year old was to walk up to you looking for advice, whether it's life advice or real estate advice or whatever, like what would be the one thing that you would like to instill in them? Yeah, I say this all the time, but stay engaged and, and get around, whether it's real estate or whatever else you want to do, uh, stay engaged. So be around people that are doing what you want to do. And for me, it was real estate. So it was going to meetups. It was getting outside of my comfort zone. I'm super antisocial. Like I don't like, like, I don't like groups of people. I don't like talking, but to sort of go to meetups and engage in that kind of stuff was outside of my comfort zone. But that's how people know who you are. And that's that, you know, that's how I found that deal for the mobile home park that Brandon was originally looking for three years ago. If I hadn't gone to a meetup and I hadn't stayed engaged and, and, and just gotten my, myself out there and, and networked with other investors, I, I never would have found that deal. And then none of this other stuff would happen. So stay engaged. And if you don't have a meetup, start one. Like it's not that hard. I mean, I've, I've been to great meetups that were started by people that, that didn't even have any real estate. They just wanted to get into it. There wasn't a, a meetup in their area. So they, they started one. Like you don't need to be a savvy real estate investor to start a meetup. Just, just post it on, on bigger pockets or, or wherever and, and, and post a meetup. It's not, not a big deal. Um, you know, stay engaged in the forums, uh, bigger pockets forums, great way. Uh, if you, you know, if you can't be hands-on, especially with COVID, it's been tough. A lot of like in-person meetups are, are still on hold, uh, but get in the forums and, 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 and just stay engaged, be, be around people that, that they're doing what you want to do. Yeah. I love that advice, especially the part about starting your own meetup. Uh, I heard that two, three years ago and I started one out in Hawaii and then I, I did one here in San Diego. And now I kind of co-partner with someone on one, uh, whenever we're allowed to host it, but um, yeah, totally worth it. Absolutely. If, I mean, going to a meetup is great, but if you have to start one, that might actually work out better for you because then you become like the guy yeah. or the yep. girl. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you get to meet everyone. Right. And that's yeah. just, yeah, super, super good advice. All right. And question number two, what is one resource, whether that's a, a book course, website, whatever that, uh, you would recommend anybody looking to get started in real estate or building a business. 
bigger pockets, hands down. And there, there's, I say that there's so many good resources out there online for free. I mean, David, your podcast is great. There's, there's a million podcasts out there. Um, when I got started, that wasn't the case. And, you know, there's just a little bit of information online, but there, I mean, there's so much free stuff out there that if you go through even, you know, bigger pockets, I think just, just cross the 400 episode mark. If you dedicate the time and you start at number one and you listen to every single one of those episodes all the way through, it's going to take you some time, but you're going to, you're going to finish that project with more knowledge probably than the average real estate investor has on, on all different facets of real estate. And I know when I started finding that, when I found that podcast originally, I was seven or eight years into my real estate investing career. I already had a, a pretty decent portfolio of stuff, but I learned so much. Like once I hooked into that podcast, I mean, I was just, I, I couldn't get through the episodes fast enough because I felt like I just kind of had my blinders on. I was doing what worked for me in my market, but it's a big world out there. There's a lot of other things going on. I didn't know anything about, you know, syndication. I didn't know anything about large scale multifamily. I didn't know anything about subject two or, you know, really some of these great strategies that people talk about for finding off market deals and just like getting hooked into that and listening to all of those podcasts. I mean, just supercharged my motivation and, and some of the tactics I was using and I was able to almost double my portfolio size in two years over what it had taken me the past like eight years to build. So um, yeah, absolutely. Hands down bigger pockets. I agree. I love that. And, uh, you know, episode 281, if you want to hear my first ever time recording and you can listen to how goofy I am as the back end of a like rookie episode, uh, 400 was actually really good. It was a good episode. Yeah. A lot of good advice. Yeah. They kind of just summarized everything. Um, but that's, yeah, that's a, a great resource for sure. Um, where can people get a hold of you if they'd like to reach out? Sure. Uh, you can email me directly. It's ryan at odcfund.com. So like open door capital fund, F-U-N-D odcfund.com and you can hit me up on Instagram at ryan.murdoch the K 21. And for those of you who don't know, if you haven't followed Ryan on Instagram yet, which I'm now writing out, so I make sure I don't misspell your name. Um, what you should do is you should go back like a couple of weeks. If you didn't know, uh, Hawaii has some pretty crazy quarantine rules. And so if you want a good laugh, um, Ryan posted this awesome video when they had come back from touring a million mobile home parks and weren't allowed to leave the house or basically on house arrest. And, and Ryan was scuba diving in a swimming pool which just, oh my gosh, I, I loved, I mean, it was like, you <laughs> was took, the time haul, to set up, <laughs> took the time to set up multiple angles. You could feel the amount of boredom that went into producing that. Video. It, man. Yeah. And I think that was only on like day four. So there was oh, 10, man. 10 more days of boredom after that. So you yeah, imagine. I saw that. And then yeah, I saw where you guys haul. were like was sitting haul. at the end of your driveway, like to someone on the other side uh -huh. of the street. Yeah. In lawn chairs and the guy <laughs> sitting in the street. Uh, which was Josh Dorkin, by the way. I don't know if you was were that aware Josh. Of that. I didn't know that was yeah, Josh. Yeah, yeah, it funny. was. It, it was not public at the time, but he has recently relocated, and, and he's now our neighbor here in Maui. So, oh, uh, dude, that's cool. I knew yeah, you'd been. So, I knew you guys had been spending some time with him. I didn't know you relocated yeah, though. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's out here now. So yeah, it was super cool. But yeah, funny. We Brandon and I sitting in lawn chairs in his driveway, and then Josh sitting in the street. Like we're ten feet away, but like he's in the street, we're on the property, and so that was compliant but with distance. With, yeah, distance. Yeah, Josh almost got run over like twelve times by cars, but it, it was worth it. It was a fun afternoon. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun. Always good catching yeah. up. Uh, yeah, likewise. I, love, I love watching what you guys are doing. Uh, it's just inspirational for everybody. And uh, I know the listeners are going to get a ton out of this. So thank you so much for joining us today. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, bro. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.